Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Glitmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I've decided to entitle this episode, After Noah. We'll begin by looking at Genesis chapter 8, verses 14 through 19. The passage tells us, And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his wife's sons with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. Now, if I have done my math correctly, and that is not a guaranteed thing, after 370 days on board the ark, the departure was carried out according to God's directions. Things were different now. Noah and his family stepped out of the ark into a new world, a world that had been washed clean of the wickedness committed by the people before the flood. God, by his grace, was giving humanity a new beginning. He did not revoke the curses on mankind that had been pronounced in the Garden of Eden because of the sin of Adam and Eve, but he did repeat some of the original blessings. He also made provisions for the progenitors of the new humanity. We already know how it turned out. But look at the gracious care of God as mankind begins again. Provision number one, the increase of the human family. We move now to Genesis chapter 9, looking at verses 1 and 7. In verse 1 we read, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. Down in verse 7 we find, And as for you, be fruitful, and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. The first commandment and blessing that man was given in creation found in Genesis 1.28 is repeated here in Genesis 9. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. With the coming forth of the husbands and the wives, I believe that marriage said by Jesus to be from the beginning in Matthew 19 verses 4 and 5 is reaffirmed by God as a sacred institution, the institution through which the commanded increase in the population was to occur. Most of the descendants of Adam and Eve had participated in the rampant sin that had filled the earth. Through the line of Seth, however, it is apparent that the knowledge of the true God was preserved and handed down. This process culminated in Noah. 
In spite of man's almost unbelievable propensity to sin, God was still willing to graciously work through finite human beings to bring about the ultimate redemption of mankind through an offspring of Noah. Shem, who was the ancestor of Abraham and whose ultimate descendant would be Jesus. Children are regarded in the scriptures as a blessing from God. To have many children and grandchildren was always viewed as evidence of divine favor. In fact, children are called a gift of the Lord in Psalm 127 verse 1. Tragically, many in the world today don't view children in that way based upon the abortion rates in various countries. In biblical times, God's people would not have considered aborting a child. In fact, in Exodus 21, verses 22 and 23, the law was set forth that if a man involved in a fight inadvertently struck a woman with child and caused her to miscarry, if the child survived, then the punishment would be as the husband demanded of him and as the judges decided. However, if the child died, it was to be life for life. God's people knew and know that life is God's gift, and children are to be viewed as a blessing to be loved, protected, and instructed in His ways for His glory. God's gracious provision, number two, was the sustenance of human life. Look at Genesis 9, 2-4. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that alive that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. The Bible is silent concerning whether or not humans ate the flesh of animals before the flood. Here is the first positive authorization of this practice and it is absolutely authorized. In addition to the edible plants that cleanse the earth, that the cleansed earth would bring forth, God also made provision for mankind to eat of every beast of the earth, bird of the sky, creeping thing of the ground, and fish of the sea. The Lord also made all of these creatures afraid of man. This may well have been so that they would instinctively free from man and not become extinct due to abuse of overhunting. In order for mankind and animals to survive physically, they must live off of other lives, whether animal or vegetation. For this reason, God gave man dominion over all the earth. He also put a limitation on man. Although the flesh of animals could be eaten for food, their blood was not to be eaten with the flesh. He gave to Noah a brief explanation of what he would later explain in great detail to Moses. The life is in the blood. It is a gift from God, and it is to be respected. I think it is interesting that man has always had a problem distinguishing between wants and needs. When we see something appealing, we are prone to desire it. And if that desire goes unchecked, we begin to think that we cannot live without the desired object and to rationalize it as a need. This has been a weakness of humanity since the beginning with Adam and Eve. He provided everything they needed. They had all kinds of fruits and plants to eat. After they sinned, he even clothed them with animal skins. You know what? Food and clothing are still 
man's two most basic physical needs. Jesus stated as much in the Sermon on the Mount when he addressed people who were worried about what they would eat, drink, or wear. He emphasized that if God clothes the flowers with beauty and provides food for the birds, he will certainly supply food and clothing for his own beloved children. God knows that we need these things. The Apostle Paul concurred with this, reducing man's basic needs to two in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8 when he wrote, And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. That doesn't mean that it is wrong to have more than just the necessities, but it is a warning against loving possessions and mistaking greed for need. God has promised that he will provide for our needs provided we do our part. The third provision was the protection of the human family. Consider Genesis chapter 9 verses 5 and 6. And surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. After instructing Noah about the acceptability of killing animals for food, but prohibiting the eating of their blood, God turned to the important topic of shedding of human blood. The Lord offered a level of protection against fearful and or hostile animals that might either feel threatened by man or see man as a source of food. He emphasized that both animals and man were to be held accountable, responsible for shedding human blood. Violators would forfeit their own lifeblood. Animals that are physically superior to man can pose a great threat to human life, but they should not be killed indiscriminately. God said that an animal that preyed upon mankind was to be destroyed in order to protect people. All life is sacred, but human life is especially sacred to the Lord, and its rights were to be vindicated, not just against rational men, but also against unreasoning animals that would attack human beings. In order to protect mankind after the flood, First, the Lord put the fear of man in animals. Then he had to put the fear of God into man, so that they would not destroy one another with impunity, as they had apparently been doing before the flood. If we consider Genesis 6 and verse 13 for just a minute, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Murderers then and now, needed to know that they would answer to their creator. All life should be viewed as a gift from God. To destroy a human life is to take the place of God and destroy one who is made in his image. Since the Lord is the only one who can give life, he alone has the right to authorize taking it away. As far as we know, before the time of the flood, God did not authorize capital punishment for murderers but it seems to have been practiced from the beginning, possibly by the relative of the victim. We know that Cain feared retribution for Abel's murder, Genesis 4 and verse 14, but it is probable that no regular or consistent system of justice existed along these lines before the flood. Lamech did not try to hide the fact that he had killed a man. In Genesis 4, 23 and 24, he told his wives, and seems to have been unafraid, even defiant, about receiving any kind of judgment or punishment for what he had done at the hands of men. It is interesting to me that researching the Nephilim mentioned in Genesis 6-4, 
seems to indicate that violence and murder led not to punishment but to renown. These tyrants who acted by force became known. Well, did you ever stop to think that with the flood, God showed his ultimate authority over life by bringing universal capital punishment upon man, sparing only Noah and his family? After the flood, in order to protect human life, God gave Noah instructions about dealing with murderers. Again, from Genesis 9:6, we find, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. For willingly and callously killing a person, a human made in God's image, the murderer's penalty was to forfeit his own life. Someone, later some established agency, had to be authorized to execute a murderer. Really, this was the beginning of civil government in its most primitive form. Later, human government and capital punishment clearly go together. Paul taught us such in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, but notice particularly verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. This can be abused, yes, but there is no doubt that God authorized capital punishment. Now provision four was a covenant to preserve life on earth. Looking at Genesis chapter 9 verses 15 through 17 we find, And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This was not simply a covenant that God made with Noah. Look at verse 9. Behold, now I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. That would be everybody. Human beings, birds, beasts, and all creeping things were beneficiaries of God's promise. He made an unconditional promise that extended to the ends of time. He would never send another flood to destroy everything that lives on the earth. Usually, when covenants were made in the ancient world, Conditions of agreements were imposed upon both parties. However, God made this covenant binding only upon himself, without any conditions imposed upon mankind for its permanence. As a guarantee that he would keep this everlasting covenant, God made the rainbow a sign that mankind can see. It would bear witness to the faithfulness of his promise. In spite of the fact that all men sin, Romans chapter 3 verse 23, God still longs to bless his creation and bestow good gifts upon us. Just look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for proof of that. The only appropriate response to the one who loves us, cares for us, protects us, and provides for us is to love and obey him in return. Thank you for listening.